This is Crescent Project Radio, bringing you powerful testimony, practical teaching, and exciting truth about God's miraculous movement in the Muslim world and how we as Christians can join Him in this kingdom work. Our goal is to see every Muslim have an opportunity to respond to the gospel and be connected to a true follower of Jesus. You can find us online at crescentproject.org. Have a comment or question? Email them to radio at crescentproject.org. We would love to hear from you and have a chance to respond on a future program. And welcome back to Crescent Project Radio, where we believe we have a hope worth sharing. I'm your host, Matt Bonner, and I'm excited to have a good friend of the ministry back on with us today. Audrey Frank is with us, and she is a teacher and facilitator for our Without Borders Women's Conferences. And we were just talking with her about her new book, Covered Glory, The Face of Honor and Shame in the Muslim World, which is coming out in August. And so we're excited about that. And so we've been talking about some of the book, her book and just, just the, the general honor and shame uh, worldview to understand that better. And so, Audrey, welcome back to the program. Thanks. Well, we're grateful to have you. And just to, to recap a bit, Audrey is, a, is an author and speaker and storyteller. And uh, she's just um, done a lot uh, throughout uh, the Muslim world and lived in various cultures and experienced different worldviews and just had a lot of experience in, in that. And um, so we're grateful for her experience and how she's able to speak into these issues. And so Audrey and I were talking about uh, the, the, the honor-shame paradigm and the roles and that, that men and women have and how it affects them and just w- how it's different from the Western worldview. And I wanted to start off this segment, Audrey, by asking you, how does the Bible and the gospel address uh, honor and shame? You know, it's a great question and one that many of us don't know how to answer because if we're from a Western nation, we have we have read the Bible through the lenses of justification, um, guilt, innocence, forgiveness, and and that's all true and right and very central to the Bible's theme and the gospel. However, there's another dynamic that we might have overlooked because of our cultural assumptions, and that's really the dynamic of the culture the Bible was um, written in, and that is an honor-shame worldview. So even from Genesis, um, that is where shame originated. Right there in the garden, we see Adam and Eve doing what shame does to you in response to sin. They were hiding. And we, we see that's when shame entered mankind's existence. It did not exist before then. In fact, Genesis tells us um, before the moment that they took that fruit, it actually tells us that they were both naked and they were not ashamed. And we Westerners zip right past that verse and don't really hear it resonate like it would have for those from the honor-shame worldview who read it um, originally. Mm-hmm. But um, what happened then was that man and woman went from being insiders with God to being outsiders. And that is the most um, summary way I can describe the honor-shame worldview. You are an insider or you are an outsider. We were created to be insiders. We were insiders walking with God, talking with Him there in the garden until the fall. And at that time, we decided to disobey. We became outsiders in need of some external force to bring us back inside to relationship with Him again. Mm. And so from the very beginning, we see 
we see the battle between shame and honor. Throughout the Old Testament, we see story after story of God restoring the honor of his people. We see him restoring the honor of women. We see him restoring the honor of men. We see him restoring the honor of scoundrels and kings. And we see God pursuing the honor of his people, wanting to bestow it on them again, if they only will. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then we come to the beautiful New Testament and we see the Messiah come. And interestingly, reading his, his arrival <laughs> through the lenses of honor and shame is an astonishing experience. Yes. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> reading it through the lenses of the shame that would have been brought upon this young virgin betrothed to this honorable man and um, she is pregnant out of wedlock, and she is made an outsider um, by this by this news until her husband decides to keep it quiet and quietly marry her. And not much is said about the shame they must have experienced, though, from their culture, because she was obviously pregnant, and um, and people certainly gossiped and wondered about that. But I've had many Muslim women come to me with tears in their eyes because they heard the Mary story. Mm. Mary has a profound impact on Muslim women because they identify elements of her shame to honor story that I as a Westerner did not until I saw it through their eyes. Then we have Jesus encountering so many women who were ashamed, the woman with the issue of blood, and we watch him restore her in every way. He doesn't just heal her, making her go from unclean to clean spiritually. He also um, restores her position in her group. And we talked about that on the last podcast, how honor and shame are always attached to a group to which one belongs, be it your family, tribe, or nation. She was an outsider. She had been cast out by her unclean state. Jesus restored her in every way. And it is another beautiful story of um, honor and shame. The gospel, the good news is Come out of hiding. You no longer have to remain silent. Shout out. God has come to set you free. And he promises in Isaiah 61 that instead of shame, I will give them a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. Mm. That's the good news of the gospel through the lenses of honor and shame. Amen. Amen. That's that's powerful and so helpful to, to remember that and understand that, that it really, it starts from the very beginning, you know, in Genesis. <laughs> and that God uh, also, you know, it's important to know that and to see that he's the one that covered their shame. You know, he provided them the animal mm-hmm. skins that were sacrificed, you know, to cover their shame and that that was the first sacrifice, you know, and it pointed to the sacrifice that Jesus would make, you know, on the cross. And so I just think that's it such sure a beautiful... Did beautiful remembrance of, of that, that, that honor and shame is woven throughout uh, the biblical narrative and that we just need to, you know, to see it there. Well, that's great. Well, um, talk to us then. I mean, I think that you touched on it, but talk to us a little bit more about how we can better explain the gospel through the, through the honor shame lens. I mean, when we're, when we're sharing it with, you know, uh, a Muslim friend, uh, be it man or woman, how can we uh, be better about kind of incorporating those, those elements? Well, I'll tell you a funny story. I used to present the gospel to my Muslim friends in the beginning through the lenses of my Western worldview, and I would appeal to them based on their need for forgiveness. And my friends would constantly say to me, 
they would turn the tables on me and say, why are you so worried about sin? You're such a good person. You pray, you fast, and in your job, you you help little children um, get surgery for new smiles. I was a I was a speech pathologist on cleft lip and palate teams for many years in the Muslim world, and they would just say, "Look at your good deeds. You're so good. Why are you worried about sin?" And I'd scratch my head and think, they're missing the point. Wait a minute, how did this happen? I'm trying to explain the gospel to them, and they're turning it around on me and telling me, don't worry, you're good. You're in good with God. So this led me to think, what am I doing wrong? Maybe my starting point is wrong, because sin and forgiveness are absolutely central to the gospel message. Mm Mm-hmm. So then when I began to learn more about the honor-shame worldview, I tried a different tack, and I thought, oh, maybe what I need to say to them is, you were created for honor. I need to say this to myself. Mm. We were created for honor. We were created to be insiders with God forever. But because of sin, we were dishonored, and we were made outsiders, and We need a mediator, and God has sent him. He has sent the Messiah, the rescuer, the mediator, the one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. And he's abolished shame forever, forgiven our sin, and made us an insider with God again, guaranteed always. And so that's that changed the way that I communicated the gospel, and it changed our conversations dramatically. My friends began to ask for more and more, and I was I was amazed. I thought, well, I guess it was just my starting point that was off. <laughs> That's incredible. That really is so insightful. Amen. Yeah, amen to that. Well, you you've alluded to it, but talk to me a little bit. Talk to us a little bit more about how um, the honor shame uh, gospel, whether or not it's a new trend or if it's if it represents a new gospel, because some may be you know unfamiliar with it to the extent that they kind of look at it as, well, huh, is is this, is this something you know a new trend or 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 what's going on here? It's tempting to think of it as a new trend, and in fact, I mistakenly thought that when I first started learning about it, because as a as a worker among churches and among Muslims, I was I was thinking about strategy and I thought, oh, here's a new strategy I can try. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can do it this way. But as I dug deeper into the Word of God and began to look for honor and shame in the Bible and find it, I went from a strategist to being a worshiper. Mm-hmm. And I saw that rather than a strategy, it had been there all along, and that my great God, the God of honor, had desired honor for all of us. He had made us in His image, and He desired to share His glory with us for some unfathomable reason. No, it is not a new trend. It has been there all along, and it is certainly not a new gospel. It might be another part of the gospel that God is highlighting for the church today. I do believe that. It might be insight that it gives us in order to share the gospel more effectively, at least from our starting point with our Muslim friends. But furthermore, it may just be a part of the gospel message that we need right now. And at this time in our social media, shame-ridden culture of humiliation, Mm. I believe this message is relevant for everyone at this time in history. In God's divine wisdom, he is bringing more knowledge and more understanding of it to us. And we would never omit sin and forgiveness from the centrality of the gospel, but perhaps he's helping us expand our understanding of of his full redemptive story for us. 
Yeah, it's really helpful. Yeah, very helpful. And I agree. It's 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 very relevant, especially as how, how you noted that uh, shame seems to be an increasing element in, in the in the media and the culture and, and social media and whatever it may be. But yeah, it's certainly more and more uh, out there, I think. Well, what are some examples then of, of women encountering the Messiah who, who removes uh, shame? I'm so glad you asked that question because I love to tell stories. And one of my favorite stories happened to me very early in my ministry years. It took me by surprise and it actually sent me on the trajectory I've been on ever since. Mm. I was, I have to actually back up if you don't mind. Sure. To when I was 12 years old, I was growing up in trauma and abuse and I had come to know the Lord um, as a nine-year-old. And But by the time I was 12, I was wondering why God hadn't rescued me out of my situation yet. I was wondering why he stood so far off and had not taken me out of that circumstance that was so harmful to me. One day I was sitting on my bed and I was crying out to God and I asked him, would you please just take me on to heaven? Just take me out of this life. If you're not going to remove me um, into another situation, then just take me on to heaven. And I was sitting on my bed crying and really just with the faith of a child looking to God and trusting that he was able to do that for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I heard the door to my room open. And the only way I know how to describe it is that I saw, felt, heard, knew that Jesus came into my room and put out his arm and he said, put his hand out toward me and he said, follow me. I am the only way to blessing out of this. And one day you will be free. And I trusted him. And I I never told anyone that story, never thought that I would ever tell anyone that story. It was extremely personal, real and private to me. Mm -hmm. And many years later, I found myself new in ministry and living among a folk Islamic tribe and out in the middle of the bush of Africa. And one night after dark, a lady came to my door and she brought her little girl who had fallen into the fire and been severely burned. And I was the closest thing to medical care within about three hours. Mm. And so I brought her inside and by lantern light, I started treating her wounds. And as I was doing it, I explained to the mother, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And at this point, I didn't know a lot of of the Bible in their local language. It was not written down yet. And we were memorizing and translating certain phrases. And I did know that passage. And I said to her, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And as soon as I said that, her eyes lit up and she looked at me and she said, so that's his name? Mm. And I was confused. And I thought, what do you mean? (laughs) And she began to tell me her story. Mm. She said, when I was 12, I was the bride payment to the witch doctor I'm married to now because my father owed him a debt for a curse he had given that had been very effective. Mm. My father couldn't pay him, so I was the payment. And every night I would lay there on my mat and I would cry. And one night this man came to me dressed in the sun. He was dressed in light and he was so bright that I couldn't see him, but I could hear his words. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And one day, someone will come and tell you my name. Mm. Mm. I sat there in shock, and I thought, 
Lord, I thought I was bringing you to these people, but you have already come. And then I thought, you came to her like you did to me. She knows what shame looks like. She knows what the pit looks like. And you didn't send someone else to take her out. You came yourself, Mm. just like me. And that's when I began to understand that my story and hers were inseparable. And that what the Lord was doing in my life and her life were bound together. And that it was a story of a journey from shame to honor. That's one of my favorite stories because it was when God began to open my eyes to the honor He wanted to bring me to in my life and how it was tied with my Muslim friends. In that part of the world, they believe that you get a new name when you become a Christian. And so I got the privilege of naming my friend, and I named her Joy. Mm. And, and her home today is the central location for a regular gathering of worship. Christians walk for days from the regions around there and come for weekend gatherings where they sing and dance to the Lord all weekend. Praise God. Praise God. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. Beautiful. What a fantastic story and uh, a powerful story. Uh, I can I can see how how that would have impacted you on the in the field like that. Uh, only only God could do uh, could write a story like that. Just amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. He's the, he's he's better than any fiction. And there are some great fiction writers out there. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. Well, what else? What any any do you, anything else come to mind when you think about uh, that question about uh, women encountering the Messiah who? who has removed their shame? I, I think of my, I think of one friend of mine who I met her because her baby had been born with a cleft lip and palate. And my husband and I used to pray, God, show us where the children are. Because in the culture we lived in, this was um, no longer in Africa, in East Africa with the Islamic tribe. We were in a, um, in an Arab culture at this point, many years later, um, we would, in that culture, many times they would hide children with deformities, and they were very hard to locate. And I was working with a nonprofit organization that provided free surgeries to, to people with cleft lip and palate. And so just before we'd do a 10-day project, my husband and I would spend a lot of time praying and asking God, please bring them out of the woodwork. Please reveal them to us. And that is exactly how we met this woman and her baby boy. My husband was walking down the street one day, and they emerged from a side street. And through some friends of his, he was able to meet her, and and our relationship began. Mm. Well, many about two or three years after her, her son's first surgery, she disappeared from my life, and I couldn't find her anywhere. She, it's as if she completely disappeared into thin air and no one would talk about her. No one um, would mention her. I couldn't find any information. Her phone was dead. And I worried that she had died. And I, I tried to find her. And one day I was walking down the street near my house and I passed her. And for a moment I didn't recognize her. She was so changed physically. Her teeth were missing. She looked haggard. And I glanced at her and we recognized each other and And I said, oh, my sweet friend, come into my home. It's just around the corner. And typically she would have said no because she, in an honor-shame culture, she she was very, very poor. And she felt too, um, she felt her status was too low to come into my home because her perception was I'd done such an honorable thing for her. Now, we all know that we we are just doing what the Lord asks us to do. Mm -hmm. And, um, but in her mind and in her worldview, 
she couldn't come into my home because she wasn't worthy. But this particular day, she came with me and I thought, what has changed? And we went inside and I sat with her and I said, what's happened to you? And she looked at me straight in the eyes and said, I have nothing left. I can tell you everything. And she began to tell me that her husband became frustrated. He didn't have a job anymore and he became abusive and he began to hurt her and he knocked her teeth out. She tried to go back to her father's home and she was not allowed because it brought shame to them for her to be rejected by her husband. So she went back to her husband and he forced her to sell her body at night in oh. order to bring income oh. and give it to him. Terrible. And so that's what she had been doing. And she just sat there with tears falling down her face like a waterfall. Mm. And she said, I have no honor left. This is who I am now. And so I began relating to her just orally. Um, I wasn't reading it, but I was just orally relating to her the story of the woman caught in adultery mm -hmm. and how she had been considered unclean and she had been brought by the righteous men of her culture and thrown at the feet of Jesus to condemn to death. But he had not condemned her. He had revealed to everyone there, men and women, that they were equally in need of a Savior and equally sinful. And I told her the story, and as I told it to her, she her eyes light, lit up, and she said, please go get the Angeal and read that story to me right now. Mm. And I knew, that, I knew that it had captured her attention because just hearing it from me was not honorable enough. There, uh, th those in an honor-shame culture hold their holy books in high, high, high regard. Mm -hmm. She wanted me to read it from the source itself, and I knew that I had her attention. Yeah. So I pulled it out and we read the story together and she gave her life to Christ instantly right there. Mm. She said, I am in this story and Jesus sees me. Mm. And I thought, you don't even know the story of Hagar who called God the God who sees me, mm. but you just called him the God who sees me. And she, she lived outside the city gates. And in the years that followed, she began sharing Christ with the others who had been forced to live outside the gates in the unclean place. There was an actual location, there was an actual area up there that was designated for those who were rejected, prostitutes, um, shamed women. They all lived in this similar area with their children. And she began to share Jesus and continues to to this day. Her little boy doesn't have to hear about the Messiah from you or me. He is hearing it from his mother now. Mm. Praise God. Wow. Praise God. What a, what a powerful story. Oh man. Uh, and what an honor for you to have been used by like that, you know, and given the privilege to be an ambassador for Jesus in that way. You know, the truth is, Matt, I've done it so badly and I haven't known. I haven't, there's so much more I need to know. And the more I learn, the more I need to know. Mm. But that's the beauty of the gospel. When we're faithful to give others the truth of the word of God, we have a guarantee that it doesn't return void. I return void. I fail. My message might not be exactly right, but the Holy Spirit never fails. Amen. And he always brings fruit. And I give him praise for that. I really don't deserve the praise for, for, for that sweet friend coming to know the Messiah who gave her honor. She encountered the Word of God that day, and I watched before my very eyes as the Holy Spirit just transformed her because I'd been talking to her for a long time mm -hmm. before she disappeared. 
about the gospel, and it hadn't quite gotten in. Mm-hmm. But that day, the Holy Spirit knew exactly what she needed. Mm. Praise God. Praise God. Well, time flies uh, when you're having fun, and unfortunately, we're out of this. We're out of time in this uh, second segment. But uh, boy, what a what a thrill to uh, to hear from you and to learn from your experiences. And we really look forward to the release of your book, Covered Glory. And uh, want to just give you an opportunity one last time to share with audiences uh, how they can get a copy of that and order it before it's released uh, in August. Thank you. You can order it by going to Amazon.com on the author page for Audrey C. Frank. If you want the URL link, it's Amazon.com slash author slash Audrey C. Frank. Excellent. And I'm sure that many will want to go and do that. And uh, we're just grateful for your time today, Audrey. Thanks for sharing your experiences, your insight about honor and shame. And we uh, look forward to uh, learning more from you in the future and, and having you be part of our Without Borders conferences. It's such a privilege to have you be part of that. And we do want to recommend that women uh, go to our website, uh, crescentproject.org, and learn more about how you can get involved with Crescent Project uh, with our Without Borders women's conferences, who are des- which are designed to help empower and equip uh, Christian women to reach out to Muslim women. And one of your teachers there uh, is Audrey. So we're grateful that uh, she's able to be a part of that. Well, um, Audrey, would you uh, thank you again for being with us. Would you close us uh, in a prayer? That'd be a privilege. Thank you. Dear God, thank you so much that you not only forgive our sins, but you remove our shame and give us honor instead. And God, I want to pray for anyone who's listening, who is carrying a burden of shame, no matter their worldview. I pray, God, that you would reach them with the truth and the message that instead of their disgrace, you have for them a double portion of honor, that it is your heart's desire that they be an insider with you forever, Lord. Meet each person exactly where he or she is today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Crescent Project Radio. We believe we have a hope worth sharing. Learn more about Crescent Project online at crescentproject.org, where you can find all of our previous podcasts featuring testimonies from former Muslims, teaching and apologetics, interviews with ministry leaders and book authors, along with commentary on current events and ministry news. Email us your comments or questions to radio at crescentproject.org. Stay connected by subscribing to our bi-monthly email, Call to Prayer, which is focused on prayer for the Muslim world. We hope you'll join us again next time on Crescent Project Radio.